0: Self-published author and digital marketer,
1: Paul Teague. Hello, and welcome to Self-Publishing Journeys, episode number 33. This is for Monday, the 17th of October, 2016. My guest today is Joanne Phillips, the author of the romantic comedies Can't Live Without, The Family Trap, and Cupid's Way. She also created the Flora Lively series of contemporary mysteries. Can't Live Without was an Amazon Top 20 bestseller in 2012, and Joanne's books regularly appear in category bestseller lists. Before becoming a writer, she had jobs as diverse as hairdresser, air hostess and librarian. Joanne has a master's degree in creative writing, is a high profile indie author and also a champion of quality in self-publishing. Joanne is also teaching the self-publishing success course via the writer's workshop. When we chatted, I started by asking her how she managed to get her first book written while she was still at work.
2: Yeah, well, that was actually really hard. Um, I think it's funny because when writing is more of a hobby, you seem to find more time. I find that now that I'm writing all the time, it seems harder to fit it in around promoting your books and doing all the other stuff that comes with being a writer. But when I was actually working full time and I had a life, um, I used to just carve out little bits of time here and there but it took six years to write my first book.
1: Wow, that's uh, that's impressive. That's a long time. But that, it was yeah. just fitting it in, in little bits and pieces that you got spare, though.
2: Yeah, and it was rubbish. It was absolute terrible. <laughs> the first book. I mean, it's obviously it's good now, but um, because it's been edited very heavily. Um, but when I first finished, uh, can't live without. It wasn't in the same form that it is existing now, um, and it took six years to write write it and then it was edited again and then again and then again and then eventually it was in a publishable form.
1: Now I want to dig into this, why why was it rubbish Joanne? Because I I hear people talking about writing a first draft and it being pants and then you're saying this was rubbish, what made it rubbish?
2: Yeah I suppose it's a bit unfair to say it was rubbish but I think you have to give yourself permission to write badly and I still do that now, I had to learn that the hard way um, because I learned after about three years that all good writing is rewriting so I think you put a lot of pressure on yourself as a writer to come up with something perfect the first time. And, and that's just not possible. Well maybe it is for the geniuses out there, but for most of us it's not possible to do that. So when I say rubbish, I mean it's just how it comes out and probably not something that a reader would enjoy. Um, you know, it doesn't it's not in a publishable form. So can't leave without um it was very rambling, it didn't have a very good structure, there were were too many characters. Um, it didn't really tie together. There were some scenes in it that didn't go anywhere. So when it was edited and rewritten, all of that was heavily tightened up. And so now it's it's a much better book. And when
1: you talk about editing, are you talking about um, structural editing, uh, copy editing, proofreading? What all of it put together?
2: All of it. Yeah. Yeah. All of it. My my process has refined over the years and now, you know, it's quite streamlined. But in the main, um, I think I I just write, I I actually write very quickly now. So that six years now will be more like, I don't know, six weeks for a first draft if I'm really into it. But I do a lot of planning before I start. So now, before I even start writing a book, I will plan it out very, very quickly. well, not rigidly, because I, do, I can deviate from it, especially if I'm writing one of my mysteries. But, um, but I do plan quite a lot, and then I will write it probably within two months, write it very quickly. But then I will take a good four months then to rewrite, and then a lot of structural editing will take place, and then line-by-line line editing, and then I have um, quite a few people who will be to read for me And that's an important part of the process for me as
1: well. And when you wrote Can't Live Without, had you had any writing experience previously? Have you ever written anything as long as that?
2: No, I've never written anything as long as that. And it was very long. I think it was 110,000 words. Now it's 90. I think it exists now as 90,000. It's still my longest book. I've got My books have got shorter and shorter as, as they've gone on. And um, But no, no, I've never written anything as long as that. So how uh, true is it to um,
1: say, sorry, how, how true is it to say then that that first book for you was almost a journey of of discovery? You were actually learning how to write as you did it.
2: I was, yeah, I very much was. I mean, I've done lots of writing courses and I've always written, and I've written short stories and um, non-fiction, but I had not written anything of that length. And And I think actually finishing it, you know, writing the end was a very – big deal for me it was a really cathartic process I put a lot of myself in that book and then I took a lot of myself out of that book um, afterwards so uh but yeah yeah it was a real and after i had done it then I felt like a writer because I'd finished a whole book and that was the start of it for me
1: so when you wrote that book were you aspiring to have it traditionally published did you go through that route?
2: I did yes and I had the fortunate and unfortunate experience of the very first agent I sent it to, loved it, wanted to see the whole thing, made a lot of um, editorial comments, which I which I took on board and made a lot of changes, which also made it better. Um, but then she left that agency and nothing came of that. So I was really, really, really disappointed. And um, that was kind of like, I felt like that was my big moment had been snatched from me. Um i felt like i hadn't been very lucky there because i do think luck plays a big part you know i think talent and hard work is 90% but i do think there's an element of luck and i felt that i'd been lucky to get in front of someone who loved it and then i felt that i was unlucky that she left and then that that didn't happen for me but when i reframed that i realized that what that had shown me was that it was a publishable book and that there were people out there who would really like it so from there then um i started to publish well i started my blog and then i started to publish um chapters on my on my blog and then i asked the readers of my blog for feedback and when i got about halfway through i realized that there was a readership out there and this was in 2012 when you know self-publishing was really really starting to take off through the kindle so that was the the route that i decided to go down
1: and had you done the submitting to a million agents thing by then, or had you just had that initial disappointment?
2: I only had that one. Yeah, I didn't submit it to anybody else.
1: So you were early to self-publishing?
2: I was, yeah. I was. Uh, yes, I was quite early. I read an article about Linda Gillard um, in late 2011, and she was very, very early to Amazon. And she had been a traditionally published author who had then self-published self- published and been very very successful and and still is and I contacted her um, and asked her for advice and we're now really really good friends and um, and I thought you know this is more for me I felt quite disempowered by having that experience with the agent I didn't like everything being taken out of my hands I know that I can do things myself and I like that you know that's one of the things about self-publishing that appeals to me is that my success or lack of success is just down to me it doesn't depend upon the whims of somebody else
1: when you talked about having an audience on your blog had you been blogging were you blogging about writing then or did you just have a, a general blog about yourself
2: no i just started it for that purpose so christmas 2011 i got a kindle as my christmas present and then i started the blog um, in january and i called it a writer's journey and that was what i started doing i basically started blogging about my experience of this book and putting chapters of the book my process of how i wanted to self-publish and learning about about self-publishing and it's all on there now from the very very first post um, and i have blogged every single stage ever since
1: it is an amazing blog I will talk about it a little bit more um, shortly i'm just interested to know what for you self-publishing looked like uh, you know that that long ago, and we say that long yeah. ago. It's only four or five years ago. It's isn't a million it? years ago. It is ago a long now, time.
0: Yeah.
2: Mm. It is. What was it, it looked, like? It looked to me like a wonderful world of freedom. For years, I've been. I had been one of those people. You know, I came up through that whole writing is hard, getting published is impossible. You need to have. You know, there are gatekeepers. You need to get a traditional publishing deal, and um, you have to have an agent. And um, there's this special magical world that you can only get into through that route and then to see that there was this i mean amazon you know is both a terrible thing and a wonderful thing but for me it just opened up this door to to readers and i realized that readers are the important people and that i could access them myself and you know self-publishing was just felt like freedom and it felt wonderful
1: And again, in those days, uh, it's very easy to go on outsourcing sites and find yourself an editor and somebody to make a book cover and a proofreader. And in fact, many people are coming from the traditional publishing industry. They're actually freelancing now because all the jobs are going. So uh,
2: was that easy then, a couple of years ago? It was if you had thousands and thousands of pounds to spend, although there were Mm -hmm. lots and lots of people out there who were happy to take your money. But I didn't have that, and so I I didn't do that. I decided to do the do-it-yourself way completely, um, and I blogged a lot about putting the self in self-publishing. So I um, I just had to upskill, you know. I just had to learn how to do everything. I had to learn how to format my books. I had to learn how to source a cover designer. I'm very, very lucky that a good friend of mine um, is a graphic designer. So he started to help me with my cover designs. And um, I wanted paperback. I knew very, very early on that I wanted to pu- to publish on the Kindle, and I had to have everything proofed. Read perfectly, you know, I really, really wanted my production values of my books to be exactly the same as traditionally published books. So I needed to, you know, have them properly edited, I needed to have them properly proofread, I needed the covers to be good, and I wanted a paperback. And I remember one of the things I obsessed about in the early days. I spent most of the summer of 2012 obsessing about wove paper because through through print on demand, the paper that you got in the books was very thick and very heavy and the weight of print-on-demand books is completely different from the weight of books that you get through litho printing and and so they feel completely different and I really really didn't want to have a heavy book I wanted a lightweight book and I I was really obsessed with that for quite some time which seems really really silly now but that was the level of detail that I wanted to get down to to make my books indistinguishable from a traditionally published book
1: so, when the first book was published, how did the sales go? What, How did you get it going and fan the flames?
2: Yeah, well, I was really lucky. Again, here, here is where it turned around for me. The luck was timing because in 2012, everything was different. Amazon didn't have so many books for sale. Um, and the free, the free promotion tool that Amazon had then actually had an an upturn in paid sales afterwards, whereas now you, you don't get that effect, which is disappointing, but it's it's the way it is today. But back then, if you ran a free promotion, which I did in, I think it's, it's all on my blog, but after six weeks of Can't Live Without being for sale, and sales were reasonably steady. I mean, I did some local press stuff, um, and so it did start to sell. But then I did a free promotion. I had many, many thousands of downloads. And then the book went back into the paid charts at number 21 in the bestseller charts and the sales went through the roof. And I remember I just was watching them go up and I would like, leave the computer for a minute and come back and I'd sold 30 books in that, in that minute and it just carried on like that. And so I made about £3,000 in two weeks just on the back of that, that one free promotion on that one book. Those sales have never been repeated at that level, I have to say, unfortunately. That was just down to timing and the result of the algorithm that at that time counted a free download as a paid download and so positioned you back in the charts as though all those downloads had been paid for.
1: Well that sounds like the good old days. Unfortunately I was never involved in oh, that but I've been I mean, that, that yeah but it gives you the impetus though it sounds like it gives you it gave you great impetus as a new author because I think you'd struggle with that nowadays a bit.
2: You would yes. Although I have to say that I have had sim- I have had similar results from free promotions. However, I've only had them through paying for a BookBub ad. So um so recently my latest book which is called Keeping Sam um That came out early this year, I think. And I paid for a BookBub advert, uh, which cost about £300. And then I had many, many downloads for that, free downloads. And when that went back into the paid charts, I did, I think I did make about £2,500 back off that over the following two or three months. And because that did go back into the charts higher, obviously not at the same level as as Can't Live Without, but you can still get that kind of traction. You just have to work a little bit harder for it now, and you have to pay for for advertising to get that.
1: When you wrote "Can't Live Without," you were working. Did you jump straight out of pay? pay I say paid employment because you moved in, back, straight back into it as an author. But but did you move out of employment, or did you write a few more books before you took the chance with that?
2: No, no, and and I still do work. I mean, I don't think yeah, I don't earn enough um, yet to to completely give up work. I mean, I work as an indexer. Part time, and um, and I've been I've, I've been a, a student for for the last few years. I mean, I've just finished doing a master's in creative writing, and in, and and tomorrow I start back at university. I'm doing a PhD in creative writing, so um so I kind of I mean I'm lucky that I don't have to work full time now to to support myself. Um although you know the money that I earn from indexing and writing and and teaching now because obviously, now I'm doing a self publishing course that I teach, and um, so I'm really, really lucky that that brings in extra money. Um, would, would you like me to talk about how much I earn from my from my writing?
1: Yes, I'm, I'm interested to. I'm interested because you, you've mentioned some very, very large numbers there from promotions. I'm interested to know what that evens out at.
2: It evens out at the moment at around between 10 and 12,000 pounds a year that I earn just from. From writing and writing related stuff,
1: and that is net profit, is it? So this is what once we've paid for the book bubs and taken all of those off?
2: Yes, yes, it is yeah
1: and that's from how many books at I've the got
2: six now. I have written seven, but my last the seventh book was the one that I wrote for my masters, and um, I'm hoping to get that traditionally published. Now, the reasons that, that I want to get that traditionally published are really, really pragmatic. I would love to, self, to self-publish it, but I want to, I would like to teach more. And what I've found, the interesting thing about self, self-publishing is, is that even though readers don't care and writers don't care, it seems that the industry, in terms of certain people, do care. And I've been for jobs with the um, OU, and I've been for other university jobs, and even though I've got a master's in creative writing, even though I've got a, a track record... And even though I've got lots and lots of credentials to teach creative writing now, you need to have had a book traditionally published. So I need to tick that box. And really, I don't care if I make any money from it. I would just, I just need to be able to tick a box on an application form that says, yes, I'm an author with a traditionally published book in order to be able to apply for certain roles that I would like to do. And I actually find that really sad and really, really frustrating. But that's just the world that... that Self-publishing so authors are living in now.
1: I was going to use the word shameful when you were saying about that. It's absolutely it appalling. Is. Some of the isn't yeah. it appalling that that snobbery still exists?
2: It really is. In, in fact, when I um, applied for a role at the OU last year to teach on their um, creative writing course, and it was a level one course, and I had every single thing that they wanted, and and I, you know, I did my first degree with them, so I was I'm a really really I'm really passionate about them too. And um, and even though on their, their criteria, it said, you know, you must have had a book to do. And it said self-publishing doesn't count. So in my application, I, I nicely wrote, I invite you to reconsider your your criteria based on this. And I wrote a lot about about myself and what I could bring and how the industry has changed and how the people who will be taking their courses will be people like me and would be able to relate more and how I would be able to have more to offer them. I didn't even get an interview for that, so I was quite disappointed. But one day well, I'll get a job with the Open University. One day, that's one of my goals.
1: Well, it, you know, it's, it's really interesting this because it does make you a bit militant about these things. I, I was at the uh, Festival of Writing in York, which is run by the people who you're running your, your class through, and um, it's still interestingly. I, I went for the first time last oh, year. I was there last year. Shocked. Oh.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, were you right? I, I, I was shocked by how many people. Um, still aspire to be traditionally published, yet they were, I mean, you'll know this if you've been to the Festival mm-hmm. of Writing, that they often go to see the, the agents and they come out all forlorn with their, their hopes dashed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it, it surprises me that they still see self-publishing. you have got Rachel Abbott's and, and, you know, massive success stories, uh, at the moment that they still see it as a, as second best, which is, it is,
2: it really is. And it's sad. You know, I'd really like, I'd love to change. Change that. That's one of the things that I would like to do. And I think that we are doing that. I feel that self-publishing is a movement. I feel really passionate about it. And I think it is changing. But um I don't know. I one of the problems that I see is that there's more money to be made out, out of peddling services around traditional publishing than there is about from self-publishing because self-publishers tend to share everything for free. You know, like my blog, and there are so many people in self-publishing who are so ch- generous with everything with their experiences, with their knowledge, with information. Whereas, you know, agents and publishers and um events do cash in still on writers who have that dream and who maybe don't have the skills or the knowledge to access the information that's out there and who see an advert and think, oh well, you know, for three hundred pounds I can go along and get some advice. Maybe they don't really realize that they don't need to do that and I think it's yeah it's a shame.
1: And the other interesting thing is that you you were kind enough to share your author earnings there um, and a traditional advance now is probably going to be less than five thousand pounds so every year you are actually earning more than twice what the average author advance would be and most traditionally published authors won't even earn out their advance.
2: It makes me laugh it really really it does you know, there's this dream of being a, a traditionally published author and people people still say to me, I still have people say to me, would you like to be published as though I'm not published? And they mean traditionally published. And I just laugh and I say, you know, I am published. And and I know that when my when one of my books does get picked up by a traditionally a traditional publishing house, as I said before, the reasons that I want that are for very specific career reasons. But I know that I probably won't make as much money from that book, and that will be one that I will like write off as a lost leader. I can make more money myself from, from self-publishing. Have you checked out
1: Bookature yet? Are, you, are they on the, yeah, your radar? Yeah,
2: yeah they're, they're brilliant, brilliant people there.
1: They, they were the big buzz at this year's Festival of Writing, right. actually, in that uh, authors get very excited about them, about the royalties, which are, I think, 40, 45% for e-books. Yeah. And, uh, but they're really shifting a lot of books and there was a lot of excitement about them at this year's event I'm hoping to get them on this podcast but is that something that you would consider?
2: I have submitted to them but they turned me down Oh, oh no! Well actually what they said was they didn't feel that they could add anything that, that I wasn't already doing so you know Oh that's a shame Well it's, you know it doesn't matter really it was it was in their early days and um, yeah they were probably right <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, let's have a look at the other books that you've written, because you, you write um, different types of books, uh, romantic fiction. We've got uh, mysteries as well. Yeah. So from that first book, from Can't Live Without, what was your progression then, your writing progression? What came after that?
2: Well, after that came The Family Trap, which is the sequel to to Can't Live Without. And then I, I wrote... Um, you know, it's so hard to remember what order I wrote them in. I think I wrote Cupid's Way after that, um, which is a romantic comedy. Um, and then I started writing cosy mysteries. I, I love the mystery genre, but I did find that after having a child, I became very squeamish and I couldn't really read anything about, you know, anything too, too gory or missing children or or anything like that. And a lot of the crime out there at that time was very dark. And so I wanted a good mystery, but I just couldn't cope with anything really dark. So I thought, right, I'm going to write the kind of thing that I I would like to read. And the Flora Lively series emerged from that. And I've now written two, Murder at the Maples and A Date with Death. And there's a third one in the pipeline, um, Sign of Seven. That will be coming soon. And then um, my latest book is Keeping Sam, which, funnily enough, um, I don't think many people know this. That was the second book that I wrote. So after Can't Live Without, while I was waiting to see whether the agent that I sent it to was going to actually publish it, and while she was sending me rewrites to do, I wrote very quickly. Wrote a second book, which was Keeping Sam, which was in a completely different format than it's in now, and then just and it. But it wasn't very, very good. So I just stuck that in a drawer, and then recently I got that out and rewrote it. And, um, and I actually sent that off for a critique to the Romantic Novelists Association, and they sent me back a very bracing report that was so useful. And I love that. I love criticism. I, that's why I love my beta readers, and I love editing, and I love re- rewriting. You know, I feel that writing happens in such isolation, and it happens in your mind. And you have these conversations between the characters, and, and you write something, and you read it, and you like your own words, and you like what you've done. But then you've got to expose it to the world. And unless you can get some real genuine criticism back, you know, then it's hard to know if it's any good or not. That, that is one of the really hard things about self-publishing is that you have to reach out to get genuine feedback from other people.
1: It took you a long time to write Can't Live Without. So with all those subsequent books, then, how did you refine and, and hone your process?
2: I think just through necessity really, through just having to, I felt as soon as Can't Live Without came out and those big sales came, then I felt the pressure to do a second book um, because I didn't want the momentum to be lost. So um, I, I think, yeah, The Family Trap came out the following February. And then, yeah, I was really, you know, I was getting emails from people who... You read my book saying I really liked it and I could relate to Stella, the character, and uh, it made me laugh. And that, that was such a buzz, you know, to get emails from complete strangers, people in America, and, you know, saying that they've read, read your book. I think the very first time that you get a review or an email from someone who isn't a family member, isn't a friend of a friend, someone who's just a complete stranger and they've read your book, that's when you realize that, you know, you're, you're reaching people. And that's what writing's about for me. That's why I write. I write to make sense of the world for myself and then you get the feeling that other people might experience things the way that you read and that might just help them feel a bit better about something and that's such a nice thing to to be able to do so um yeah so I just push myself really really hard to try and get as much work done as possible and when I'm in the zone I am a workaholic
1: One of the big things for the authors is writing in series and looking at your Amazon author page. I noticed that your Flora Lively's are very, the covers are quite clearly in a series. And then the formatting in terms of the text, the fonts, generally the fonts that you've used, you can tell that the other four. So we've got Keeping Sam, The Family Trap, Cupid's Way and Can't Live Without. They all look like they're in the same series. Even though I know they're not in a series, are they? No. Is that that's intentionalized
2: Yeah, and that was recently done because they all have quite different covers, um, and yeah, my covers have changed quite a few times. I've kind of re everything I've learned. In fact, for my masters, I did um, I did a, a project about cover design, and I I researched it quite heavily, and then I so then I went back to my own six books and redid all of the covers based on what I learned from that because um, I really found that because that's what happened. Happens, isn't it? I think, especially with with, with self publishing, is that each book is a new thing, and so it, it organically grows. But then, when you have a body of work, you look back and you realise that you want to attract the right readers, and the best way to do that is through, first of all, the cover, you know, then the description, and and then you want them all to look not only fairly similar to each other, but also similar to the kinds of books that your ideal reader is actually looking for as they're just scrolling through, because you only get a couple of seconds to to try and grab them
1: they're certainly very distinctive are you still going for the policy of creating a paperback version of every book that
2: yes i am i think so i have been i'm not sure every time i produce a new book i do start i do re. i do rethink because you have to because so much can change in self-publishing and in the book world in the space of a couple of months so every time you're you're uh, you're faced with you know a, a new launch you have to look at The climate for that launch so I can't say what I will do next time I'll have to look and see what the situation is for that and then um, I just like paperback books and I like it's a vanity I guess I like having my own book in paperback so I can sign it and hand it to people it's nice
1: yes I'm assuming you're the same as, as most indie authors in that you probably shift more copies in ebook form, and they're more profitable
2: for you. Vast, vastly so, yeah. Although, yes, no, no, definitely. Although, Murder at the maples the first of the Flora Lively books, is my best-selling paperback, and I think one of the reasons for that is that it sells really, really well through libraries. I am. Um, I had a um an experiment with that book that, that I reached out to lots and lots of libraries and invited them to order copies. And um, and they have, and every month when I get my reports through from Lightning Source, you know, I've regularly had ten or more orders of those of those paperbacks, um, and I can only assume that they are are going to to libraries, and um, so that's that's a really really positive thing. I think that book, I would love to have that book in large print, and again, that's another thing that's not open to to self-publishing authors because if i had an agent or or a traditional publishing deal then they would then sell the rights to a large print publisher and then you know my my cozy mysteries which older readers would absolutely love would be able to access them in large print through libraries very very frustrating
1: it's interesting that you mentioned that you're doing the paperback versions through Ingram spark because you're then buying your own isbns and setting them up so that they could be sold through bookshops, is that correct?
2: It is. Although I don't I don't use Ingram Spark. I'm still um contracted to Lightning Source under their original contract before they bought out Ingram Spark.
1: Oh this goes way back. This goes beyond my knowledge, this does. Yeah. So just talk me through the basics of that one. I didn't know this.
2: Well no, no, it's still it still is Lightning Source and it probably is very, very similar to Ingram Spark, but I set up my account with with Lightning Source before they brought ingram spark out so ingram spark is just the kind of lightning source light as it were to make it easier for self-publishing authors they kind of hold your hand through it a little bit more but i didn't bother transferring over because i'd already set it up with with lightning source uk to all intents and purposes though it's pretty much the same thing
1: but uh, but the key concept applies is that you get your um, ISBNS. Whereas with CreateSpace, there, um, you know, Amazon assigned ISBNs, and so therefore you you're on all the booksellers' listings, and this is where the libraries can stock you. You've got to do that, I think, to be at the libraries. Is that right?
2: You do, yes, Yeah, So I have my own publishing name, and um, and an imprint, and I'm distribute. I'm listed with Gardner's and Bertram's. I think it's Bertram's who the libraries order through. Um yeah, and I have to go onto Nielsen's website and I have to um, yeah upload all my details of every book with the ISBN. it is it is very very complicated I mean to 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 begin with when I started in two thousand and twelve I was just faced with this huge void of information. you know you're in the stage of what is it unconscious incompetence where you don't even know what it is that you don't know, and then I had to proceed through to where I did know all the things that I didn't know and then try and learn them all. And it was such a massive, massive learning curve. One of the
1: things I found with paperbacks, I, I, I went through Ingram Spark with mine. I now publish mine through CreateSpace. But I found it very yeah. hard with I don't know whether the same rules apply to you. Um, I think it's something like you've got to get they but the bookshops want 55% discount and we're doing sale or return on them. And I just thought, I can't make any money on this, so I'm not going to bother doing it this way. Uh, have you have you managed to crack that nut?
2: Yeah, because um, I don't have that. Uh-huh. You're a different deal. <laughs> so maybe Ingram. Yeah, I am. So I offer 40% discount and no returns.
1: Well, you can do that. I mean, you could you could opt for it, but I think it's the standard, isn't it, that, that you offer massive discounts and then you let them pulp them if uh, they don't want them.
2: I suppose so. But that's, that's, I guess that, you know, I just haven't really um, maximized on my bookshop deal. So I have a, a local bookshop that I supply myself. So I just take her in, you know, like 10 books at a time with the deal of 40 percent discount. And she she does actually give them me back if if she doesn't sell them. And um, but it's quite informal. And then other other bookshops, you know, I guess that they just order them if people go in. And I suppose in that instance, they will only be ordering them if people have gone in and asked for them. So no, I, yeah, I think it is, it is, it would be the same deal. If I went down the road of trying to get, say, Waterstones or Smiths to stock my books, then yes, I would have to do that. But I've never bothered.
1: And do do you sell them on your Amazon author page? Again, there's lots of pictures of you standing with uh, paperback books, and one of them looks like you're at a, a stall somewhere selling your book. So do do you use the paperbacks for that as well, that face-to-face with readers?
2: I do, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've done I've done some affairs. I've done, yeah, I've done stalls. I've done the libraries. Um, I've done talks. Um, yeah, so I have I've hand-sold quite a few. But again, I think... I don't really see, I don't see the paperbacks as a means of making money. I see them, I've never really thought about this until now, but I think for me, having a paperback is like having a bookmark or a business card or some merchandise. You know, it to me is a promotional tool. So um, it's something, it's a physical thing to have to help me promote myself as an author, as a brand. And then, um, you know, then hopefully that will go on to live To more more to more downloads, and I I will give them away for free. I mean, you know, that's that's the other thing is that you can run a competition to, like, from my um my newsletter. You know, I will run a competition to win a signed paperback copy. People tend to prefer that to just winning a Kindle version, but then that kind of gets more people to sign up, and then that will get more people engaged, and then even the people who don't win that particular signed copy will hope hopefully have found out enough about that book to think well I'd, I'd like to read it so they will then either order the paperback for themselves or they will download the Kindle version so I tend to use the paperbacks more as a promotional tool really.
1: I'd like to talk to you about your masters that that you've done if we may because I, I noticed that um, you know a lot of people do them as a as a part of their journey to getting traditionally published and I wondered what made you do it in the first place and also I'd like to explore what you got from it uh, because you'd written a book am I right in saying this you'd you'd written and self-published the first book before you did the masters is that right
2: I had yeah yeah I had it's funny really because I keep asking myself that now and as I'm just about to start doing a PhD I'm asking myself again why am I actually doing this I think I think it's an inferiority complex yeah. I think because I left school at 16 and went into hairdressing and then I didn't have any qualifications. And then um, I had to do a degree through the OU, as I've mentioned, and I just think I'm just compelled to keep proving myself. But also, um, I do like studying, I like learning, um, I like to to keep busy, and I wanted to, um, how can I put it, wanted to embed the knowledge that I had. And to formalize it. So as I'd mentioned, you know, I'd I'd written that first book over six years and then I'd I'd self-published it. And I felt that as a writer, I had grown a lot. I felt like I knew a lot, but I was also aware that there was a lot that I didn't know. I knew that I'd made mistakes with that book. I wasn't quite sure what they were, though, in some ways. And I wasn't quite sure how I wouldn't make those mistakes again. So I think that doing the Masters was a way of me kind of ensuring for the future that as I carried on writing, I would continue to get better and not just keep writing the same book. And how did academic
1: life um, contrast with the real gritty life of having sat down and done it yourself?
2: Um, it contrasted a, a lot. Yeah, quite, it was quite a shock, actually. The, the level of detail that you have to go into in, in analysing books The the creative writing masters that I did um, at at Manchester Metropolitan was quite heavily um, into analysing lots of texts and and critiquing texts. So you didn't just kind of write, oh, let's let's write some short fiction, let's write some poetry. It was a novel. It was the novel route, and um, it had a a pedagogic aspect. So it was all about teaching creative writing as well, and um, we really analysed successful books and texts and wrote lots and lots of essays around that. So it was quite an, an academic course and I I rose to the challenge, let's just put it that way. I I learned how to be good at it quite quickly. And um I don't think I was as good as I would have liked to have been, but I got a um, I graduated with a merit. I was two points off a distinction, which being me, I was absolutely devastated. And missing out on on a, a, a distinction, but I've I've overcome that now.
1: <laughs> I would be devastated. I would be devastated <laughs> at that. That's just so close, isn't it? That's so frustrating. Yeah,
2: I haven't really overcome it. That's why I'm doing the PhD. <laughs> 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 I,
1: I, I would be the same, don't really. I, I totally yeah. get that. Uh, that's very frustrating. Um, so in, in terms of the master's, that you've now got from that a book that you're going to go for traditional publishing have, have you have you sent it out yet have you
2: is it gone yet um i've, I've sent it to a couple of places yes yeah, so um so this beautiful world it's called and it is a brilliant book it's my absolute favorite it got shortlisted for the luke bitmead award i don't know if you if you've heard of that but every year um in honor of of luke bitmead um, they award writers and give a prize and last year it it, it was shortlisted one of nine that so that was really 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 positive i was so pleased with that um the other one of the other people who i was on the course with actually will his book was long listed for the booker prize and i'm actually mentioned in the acknowledgments because i beta read it for him so that's my little claim to fame there that's about as close to the booker prize (laughs) as i'm ever gonna get in the acknowledgments (laughs) yes
1: so
2: that was yeah no, so I—that's I, on my on my to-do list—is to—is to get that sent out soon. And, and what? Going, but it's a quirky book.
1: Going into that process, are you are you braced for the feedback? You know, you, you kind of—I guess you kind of know what's coming, don't you?
2: No, I fully expect it to get taken <laughs> on and <laughs> and published straight away. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, really. I really don't know. It's a very quirky book. It's about. Um, it's about a man who works on a suicide prevention helpline. It's about mental health problems. Um, it's got a kind of Wizard of Oz feel to it. Um, it's very, very different from anything that I've, I've done before. And it's, it's niche, let's put it that way. So I think it will, it's, it will either be picked up and people will think it's awesome or it, people will just shake their heads and think, uh oh. <laughs> So we'll have to wait and see what will happen with that. I don't know. And would
1: you self-publish it then if it uh, if it didn't get picked up?
2: I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not being very very forthcoming with that. But it's not because I'm not being forthcoming. It's because I really don't know. I'd have to wait and see. Anyway, it will be. Yeah, it
1: will be. <laughs> it will be. And you've got you've got this amazing track record for goodness sake. You know, it's not like you you've come out the blue, is it, with something new? You know, you're a known quantity. You're already shifting loads of books.
2: A publisher would have to be insane to not take that book on because at the end of the day all they've got to do is publish it and I'll do all the work in terms of, of marketing and promoting it and it will sell lots and lots and lots and lots of copies and make them plenty of, of money and who loses no one so just take my book on
1: <laughs> I agree what are they waiting for look just email me if you're interested I'll take my 15% cut <laughs> and I'll put you in touch with Joanne
0: <laughs> and we're all Sounds happy <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> no we've got to be positive no. because no I, I mean seriously I mean you're an agent's dream now aren't you this you know this is the difference if you've written that book as your first book um then you would have been an unknown quantity but I mean pr- presumably when you're pitching this to agents you are telling them that you've already had massive success
2: yes I- I do. I haven't pitched it to many, though. I'm a bit ambivalent about it, really. I think what I see coming in the future now is I've got two more books to write. I've got the third in the Can't Live Without series. There's a third book called Growing Pains, which kind of rounds that off. And I've got one more Flora Lively book to finish that that I have promised people. And there's another book called All the Secrets We Keep that I'm almost finished. And once those three books are out, I'm going to have a change of direction. And, um, I'm gonna kind of reinvent myself and write something a little bit different, and then I think I might go for an agent at that point, but I need but i'm but I feel that I need something new to offer because what I'm doing now isn't so very exceptional or so very different from what everybody else does and if and I have to put myself in the position of an agent and think, what would I do? What would I see? And if I looked at me now, I would think. It's kind of a little bit muddled. You know, there's somebody who is self-publishing, but they're doing mysteries and they're also doing women's fiction. But, hey, are they really an academic, really? You know, what, what are, who, who is this person? Who is this Joanne Phillips person? What could I do with her? So I need to, I need to package myself better. If I wanted to go down that route, I, needed, I would need to package myself a lot better as something very clear what I wanted my future career to look like, I think.
1: And let's talk about that now because uh, I spotted you through the writer's workshop because you're going to be teaching self-publishing courses. And presumably this is a glimpse of what you would like your future writing life to be like uh, teaching.
2: Yes, I do. Well, I'd like it to, I'd like the teaching to kind of support the writing because as as you know, you know, um, the, the royalties coming in fits and starts. Like I can get a royalty payment from Amazon one month of 1,500 pounds and the next month, 300, and the next month, 600. And if I do a promotion, you know, the next month, it could be really good again, and on and on it goes. So you kind of need, because the ups and downs month by month can be so much, you need something a bit more stable to see you through the paying of the bills. So I, I love teaching, um, and the self-publishing course is something that I developed with them. We've actually run two so far. Um, and it's, it's brilliant. You know, the people who've been on it have absolutely loved it and get so much from it. There is so much information out there about self-publishing that you can go out and find everything yourself. But we felt that um, it just adds something extra if you can get feedback on what you're doing. If you can have a tutor and a cohort of fellow students that, during the four weeks, you can kind of bring everything together and practice with, with them. In that kind of safe environment
1: and, and I'm going to let you do a pitch for this course now then because this is right to the heart of what I do on the podcast which is self-publishing and trying to get people to self-publish um, as well as getting that feedback what, what are they going to learn practically are they going to be able to go from you know A to Z um, uh, and, and find out how to actually get the thing listed on Amazon and selling
2: it actually covers everything so from the very very beginning Um, It will take you through from every single thing that you need to know, the ins and outs, the technical sides. It's got got step-by-step instructions and personal guidance from me and um, everything from the technical side of how to get your book up on Amazon, how to get it formatted, um, how how to get it as a paperback as well as everything to do with marketing and promoting and finding beta readers and editors, and as well as how to get the right cover design and, and so much other stuff. I mean, it's, it is literally every single thing that you need to know. If you have a book ready now that you've just kind of finished your first draft or your second draft of, then um, it is for you because at the end of the four weeks, you will be ready to hit publish. In fact, you will already have hit publish and be starting to sell. Or if you're nearly at that point, then you then you could do the course and obviously then just keep the material and then start the process after. And the other good thing is that, you know, during it you're kind of practicing things. So there's homework tasks and you get them marked. So you can kind of try it out. You can write your first you know, and um, your first blog post or your press release or your letter to to book bloggers, or you can try to get like source images for cover designs. And um, you can put together your profile of your ideal readers. You can look at Amazon and see which categories you should be in. You can get to grips with the nitty gritty and trying to understand what you're going to be doing. But you can practice it and then get feedback so that when you're actually doing it for real, you can just hit the ground running.
1: And I think Writers Workshop they have a kind of um, interactive forum, don't they, for for people who are on courses, so that you can um, you know easily interact. Is, is that right?
2: Yes, it, it is. Yeah, and um, it's it's all done on their word cloud, which is their forum. So as well as each week, you get your you get the tutor notes and um, the homework tasks, and then kind of extra tasks. And there's a forum where everybody chats and shares things. You get feedback and. Mark, marked kind of homework for me, but also everybody comments on each other's work too. And each group has kind of, as it goes on, you know, each group that meets stays in touch. And then when the books come out, you know, people will support each other and and cross promote each other's books. So it's the very beginning of starting up your own network. You know, if you're coming at self publishing and you've literally haven't even got a blog or a Twitter account or a Facebook account because we cover social media too, um, then this is the ideal place to start because not only does it explain why and how it also gives you a ready made group of people to begin to do that with
1: it sounds excellent very comprehensive you know there's nothing i can't think of it there that you know you need to do all of that don't you and it seems overwhelming if you don't have a trusted guide and um if anybody ever wants to sort of see if you're the right person for the job just read the blog read the blog it's you know your history and your experience is extremely diverse your blog's amazing I've only just discovered it because you and I are talking now but I'm going to be digging into that too because there's a lot of your whole journey's there that's what I like about it actually
2: yeah everything's there and I share everything I'm, I'm all for transparency you know I, I think the thing that, that we started to talk about you know about how writers still believe that they have to get an agent they have to go down that route that self publishing's not for them that it's the poor you know, second cousin. I think it's because people don't talk about things enough. They don't share. You know, there is still this reluctance to talk about sales figures and earnings, and just to be more open. Um, you know, if people were more open about things, then you would be more informed in in making the choice, wouldn't
1: you? Yeah, I agree with you. Where where, where can we find more about your course uh, and sign up for it?
2: Well, there's a link on my website, which is www.joannephillips.co.uk. And then the Writer's Workshop, um, there are links on their website too to sign up for it there.
1: Fantastic. And um, I, I should finish by just asking you, um, you've mentioned your website there. Where else can we find you online?
2: Um, well, you can find me everywhere <laughs> <laughs> on Amazon and on Twitter. You want my Twitter handle, don't you? It's at Joangie Phillips. And um, again, on on my website, fairly, fairly prominently on the front page, there are links to to facebook and twitter and i've got a youtube channel where there are lots of videos of me just randomly talking about stuff as well
0: and singing (laughs) thank you for listening to this week's self-publishing journeys if you enjoyed the show please consider sharing it with your indie author friends or you can leave a review on itunes stitcher or whichever podcast directory you use in the meantime you'll find previous interviews and all the show notes at selfpublishingjourneys.com Thanks again for listening. We'll have more great self-publishing tips for you next week.